Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, How to Pray Like the Apostles Prayed. The apostles first observed Jesus praying. They asked him to teach them to pray. He taught them to pray, many principles of prayer, and then he commanded them to teach us to, to observe all things whatsoever he had commanded them. So that was that is the purpose of this video series. This is lesson number 17, and it's the last lesson in this, this specific series. It's not the last series we will do on prayer. But on this specific subject of how to pray like the apostles pray, this is the last lesson. And guess what the subject is? This final lesson is the final time that we address in this series, perseverance in prayer. Perseverance in prayer. Brother, sister, man of God, woman of God, church, we must get this. In Jesus' name, we must get it. We want to talk about specifically uh, in this Last lesson, praying prayers that God responds to. And you say, that's strange. God responds to all prayer. No, he doesn't. No, he does not. No, he doesn't. He said, the book says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, I believe it is, I forget which verse it is, but if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I believe it's Psalm 66, I believe. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So no, he does not hear every prayer. The scripture says our sins and our iniquities have separated between us and our God so that he does not hear us. So again, no, he does not hear every prayer. So how do we pray prayers that uh, God responds to? One of my one of the most challenging places in the scripture uh, when it comes to prayer and persistence in prayer, is Isaiah 62, beginning with verse 1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Now, uh, as I've said before, and as others have said, I'm sure you've probably heard it. Uh, God had a congregation in the Old Testament. It was Israel. When they left Egypt, when he delivered them from Egypt, that's the first time he called them the congregation. It was his congregation of the wilderness. Before then, he had dealt with individuals. He had dealt with families. But this is the first time when Israel was delivered from bondage in Egypt, the first time he had a congregation. And so it is biblical principle that the things that God did and said 
to Israel, the natural seed of Abraham, applies to Abraham's spiritual seed, the church, in a supernatural dimension. The, the words he said, the things he did, the corrections he gave, all concerning not their, 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 their natural lives, their, their, their existence as a, a body of people, uh, naturally they represent uh, there are there are examples for our learning. They are foreshadowing types and shadows for us to learn, and uh, but they correspond to the church, the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom, of God on the earth at this time. And uh, notice this, please. If you, the Bible actually calls the church Zion in. Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it is. So he uses that. He calls us Jerusalem also. He says in Galatians 4 that we are the new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is the mother of us all. All of us are born again children of God. So both of these words, Zion and Jerusalem, is used in the New Testament in regards to the church. And so here's the burden that God gave Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a, as a lamp that burneth. And when the church, for the church's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for the church's sake as the mother of the saved, I will not rest until our righteousness, and we're supposed to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness. We are the light of the world, Jesus said, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth, showing direction, giving clarity. So I'm going to pray until the church gets to the place that it is what God has called us to be and is able to use us like he has purposed for us to do. And what's going to be the result of that? And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all the the kings uh, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And thou shalt be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Kings and priests used by God, first of all, in the spiritual kingdom, now, and then in the millennial kingdom on the earth, and then in the eternal kingdom, kings and priests. But we need to get to this place. We need to be brought to this place. We need revival. We need to be revived until we're burning bright with his light so the world can see his glory through us. Because as the man Christ Jesus was the only visible representation of the invisible God on this earth, we are the body of Christ today. And the world cannot see God except he's manifested through us. So we're praying. Persistent prayer. Will not hold my peace. Will not rest until the church is the glorious church without spot or wrinkle. 
and that is to be accomplished first of all in prayer. Preaching to the church to make the church the glorious church that is not saturated by prayer, directed by prayer, empowered by prayer, uh, imparted to by prayer with a rhema from God. And the authority activated by prayer. That word is not capable of bringing the church to where it needs to be. We have prophets, but we don't have prayers. We have too many people that are preaching to people they don't really pray for. God help us. God help us. God help our souls personally. God helps the help the body of Christ. What about the plan of God? What about the purpose of God? Isn't that what we're here for? Isn't that why he saved us? For his plan and his purpose. In Jesus' name. He continued. He's going he's gonna to not hold his peace. He's not going to rest in prayer uh, until thou shalt no more be termed forsaken. Neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. Hephzibah is the Lord delighteth in thee, and Beulah, thy land is married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. We're not talking about incest here. Not talking about the son marrying the mother, but we're talking about the commitment that we make one to another and the commitment God makes to us. So a young man marries a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. So we become a part of the bride of Christ. We become dedicated to her. We can become dedicated one to another. We we become married, so to speak, one to another spiritually. And then God rejoices over us. And then it gets really, really strong, this passage. Verse 6. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that colon, what follows the colon explains what precedes the colon. I've set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night, colon. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, Again, we're not trying to talk God into doing something that's not his will. It was his idea first. We're not trying to talk him into it, but he's trying to get us to pray so that he can make us that. And so we're praying for Jerusalem. Well, I'm a part of Jerusalem. We're praying for Zion. I'm a part of Zion. So if I'm praying for Zion and Jerusalem... I'm praying for God, what God needs to do and wants to do in and to us and then through us. And how am I supposed to pray that? 
Not hold your peace day or night. Give him no rest till he establish. And give him till he make Jerusalem a praise of the earth. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, something has got to happen to our spirits. We've got to open up our hearts, soul, mind, spirits to God that he could do a work in us that we would stop being about ourselves and living our way and putting ourselves and our own comfort and convenience as the priority. And we would receive a revelation from him and understand who we are in him, who we are in him, and what he's purposed to do through us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God wants to do this through us. In closing out this lesson, I want to make mention of something here. He said, Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. In the Hebrew, according to the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary, that word Hebrew there is literally, Ye that are the Lord's remembrancers. God's servants, I'm reading now from Jameson Fawcett Brown, God's servants who by their prayers put God in remembrance of his promises. We are required to remind God as if he could, which he cannot, forget his promises. Why? Because by reminding God, we are speaking by faith those promises into the atmosphere of the cosmos, this world. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is not the God of this cosmos. He is not the prince of the power of the air. But he has given to his body the dominion to act, those, act on those things and pray with that authority and power. Because the Father did not allow the man Christ Jesus to do that. Because his purpose in coming was to become the tree, the vine from which all of us would grow and bear fruit unto him. This remembrance, these remembrancers were officers of the king. They were charged to remind the king of whatever commitments he made, whatever promises he made, whatever uh, uh, debts he owed, whatever debts were owed to him. In the time of Esther, the uh, the the king's remembrancer reminded him that Mordecai, Esther's uncle, had done something to protect the king and spare his life, but he hadn't rewarded him. So because of the, the remembrancer reminding the king, he called in Haman, who was his like chief of staff, and he said, what should the king do to honor somebody that has... Uh, protected him. Well, the king, uh, or that he wants to reward. And Haman thought that the king was going to do something for him. So he goes to this big elaborate thing of the king's robe and the king's horse and to be led through the seats and streets and honoring him and whatever. Well, Mordecai, um, Haman was very distraught when he found out that God was going to honor his enemy, Mordecai. That's what the remembrance are supposed to do. We are the Lord's remembrancers. That's what he prayed here. He said, 
I've set watchmen on thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, ye that are the Lord's remembrance, is the way uh, the margin of my Bible said many years ago. Keep not silence. Give him no rest till he establish, till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Isaiah 43, verses 25 and 26 says it this way. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Lord, you promised to forgive my sins and remember them no more. You remember that. When it says, keep not silence, or it is literally to give him no rest. The Hebrew is silence. Keep not silence yourselves, nor let him rest in silence. Give him no peace. Pray with perseverance. This is the will of God for us. We have been called to do this. And one of the clearest calls that Jesus has ever made. He took the principles talked about in Isaiah 62, and he talks about them in this parable. You've all read it, I hope. Luke 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that meant men ought always to pray and not faint, not give up and quit. Persistent prayer, prevailing prayer, persevering prayer, saying, this is the parable. There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Now, it shifts here. And shall not God avenge his his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? The Lord did not equate himself to the unjust judge. And he didn't equate the unjust judge and his attitude to God. He took the extreme example of someone who didn't care about this widow, who only responded to the widow's continual coming because he was getting weary of it. And to get rid of her, because he realized he couldn't kill her, that would be a terrible thing, and, and he would pay the price for that. So he couldn't get rid of her. He couldn't stop her from coming. And she was so determined, she knew he was her only hope. So he got rid of her by simply granting her petition because it didn't cost him anything. Now, that was the extreme example of the power of persevering, persistent, prevailing prayer. And the Lord said, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him. Sounds like 
Isaiah 62, does it not? Though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now, here is the uh, thing that's so uh, challenging. So challenging. I I don't want to hear. I want to be a doer. I don't want to just be a hearer. I, I don't want... I don't want God to speak these things through me and them not be produced by him in my life. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to preach to others stuff that he's not doing in me. Now, I I acknowledge that every man of God is required of God to speak because it's his word. Even if they have not reached the place that they're living consistently what they're preaching. But their attitude has to be they want to. Their desire to. Their They're learning in God. They're growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have had to, for my whole life, preach things that I had not perfected or he had not perfected in me. And that's the humbling thing is to teach these things. But I have told him. I told him again today. I'm willing for him to speak anything he wants to through me. I'm just his conduit. But, Lord, I charge you, don't speak through me stuff you're not producing in me. I want what you're speaking. I want that. I want that. I want it. I want how he does it is his business. But I want this. I want to be a persistent prayer. I want to be a prevailing prayer. I have done it at times in my life. But I want to obey Ephesians 6.18 and pray in all kind of prayers at all times by the Spirit and persevering with supplication for all saints and the will of God. And as Isaiah 62 says, that uh, for, uh, for Zion's sake, I will not rest. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not hold my peace until the church becomes what God has planned for it to be. But... I, I don't, I don't want to do that by myself. I can, but I don't want to. And it's not the will of God for me to do that by myself. The Holy, the Spirit of the Lord is going throughout his church and he's calling people to prayer. Not just their religious prayers, not their just devotional prayers, not, not their prayers that just let me stay saved prayers, but prayers that where we are conduits and he is praying and prevailing and supplicating and warring and travailing through us so that his will can be done, so that the church can be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And the word of God in Ephesians chapter 5 promises that when the Lord comes, he's coming back to a glorious church. It's not something he's going to make us when we get there. He's going to make us a glorious church here and now. But that is not going to be hap- not happen until the church truly becomes a house of prayer. Until the church becomes known first and foremost, not for its facilities, not for its programs, not for its good preaching, not for its great singing and music, not for its choir, not for how nice the people are, but because it is a praying church. Because prayer is powerful. It is supernatural. 
And it's the most powerful thing we can possibly do in the earth. It's powerful. It's supernatural. It is above the natural. It is unlimited. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that's activated and operating through us in prayer. That's the will of God. That's the will of God. And then Jesus says it like this. I'm going to read those last two verses, or the last verse I read again, and I'm going to read the last verse of this parable that I didn't read completely. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? We are not trying to get an unjust judge to answer our prayers. But there is an unjust judge in this world. He is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of darkness, of the kingdom of darkness, the spirit of iniquity that's already at working in this earth, at work in this earth. Now, sometimes warfare It's just like this widow coming and demanding that this this, uh, judge, in this case, because the devil is a judge of man, self-appointed judge, and accusing us, uh, he's the accuser of the brethren. But our prevailing prayer is saying to this judge, give up, let go. To this unjust judge, let go, give up, turn them loose. Turn them loose. Now, we bind the strong man and we can spoil his house. We don't pray. We don't bind him by the quantity of our prayers. We bind him by the faith and authority with which we pray and the persistence of that prayer. No war is won by the first battle. No war is won by the first conflict. A war, by definition, is a series of battles. You can win the first battle and lose the war. The Germans swept through Europe before, uh, or to begin World War II, and almost nothing could stand in their way. They won against Czechoslovakia by coercion. They won against Poland they won against uh, uh, Holland and uh, uh, Belgium, and then finally they won against France, and it just swept through all of that. No opposition, but they didn't win the war because there were those who refused to be defeated. And ultimately, the Germans, who had seemed so undefeatable, so impossible uh, it would seem impossible that they would lose. Their army was so large and powerful and well-equipped and all of that. They won some battles, but they lost the war. We cannot defeat the devil by a single prayer and a single prayer meeting. It does not work like that. That's why it's called 
spiritual warfare or persevering, persistent, prevailing prayer. And Jesus said, Shall not God avenge his own elect against whom? Against the one who had us in bondage, the one that's got our friends and families in captivity, the one that's wreaking havoc on this world. Because when the Bible, the Bible says, when we, we see him, we're going to say, is this the one that caused all this trouble? He does that because we have not stood up as the kingdom of God and prayed until he was defeated. And what is the victory about? We don't want to rule this world. We're not called to rule this world now. That's for the millennial kingdom. That's all after the second, uh, the, the, uh, the, the appearing of Christ for his church and his establishment of his kingdom in Jerusalem for a thousand years. We're not, we don't want to rule the world now. God's not called us to rule the world now, but we are called to have spiritual dominion in this world so the lost can be set free. So the lost can be saved. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them. The lost, Second Corinthians chapter four, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. But Paul, God called Paul, and Paul told us it was our call because we're supposed to follow him as he followed Christ. And that under that in the light of that bright light with that voice speaking to him straight from heaven said, For this purpose I've called you, that you would open their eyes, their spiritual eyes, and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a her- inheritance among the saints. The word forgiveness there in Acts 26, 18 is the same Greek word translated remission of sins in Acts 2, 38. And then inheritance, you can't have an inheritance with the Lord without having the earnest of the inheritance according to Ephesians chapter 1, which is a baptism of the Holy Ghost. So Paul was commanded by Jesus directly on the road to Damascus. to battle in prayer till people's eyes are open they can see. Battle in prayer till their darkness is gone and they have light. Battle in prayer till they're delivered from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the adversary, into the kingdom of God. And the culmination of that will be they'll get baptized and receive the Holy Ghost according to Acts 2.38 as the plan of salvation for the church. My friend, I say this to you. I, I I appreciate the fact that you've watched all 17 of these videos and these lessons. Thank you for your hunger. Thank you for your willingness for the Lord to challenge you and call you to prayer. Thank you for your desire to pray like the apostles. But now that you've finished this series of videos, I pray in Jesus' name that you will present yourself before God like never before by the grace of God that you and I might be able to be made the prayers 
that he has called us to be for his kingdom's sake. Spiritual warfare is not done on the streets. Spiritual warfare is done before the throne of grace against the powers of darkness of this world. And we have been promised victory in this world. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Well, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us because we are prevailing in persistent, persevering warfare prayer until he is defeated and the souls of this world are set free. I'm going to close this video with a vision God gave me. It was a most amazing vision. It was, I was, it was actually in the night, but I was not asleep. I was in prayer. In this vision, I saw this huge set of walls, ancient walls. They were high, 30, 40, 50 feet high. They were, they looked impregnable. And the gates in those walls, I was standing on a, on a platform looking uh, down at the road, that, the path, uh, the, the, the road that led to the gates. Those gates were wide and they were huge. And you could tell they were very heavily fortified. And in this vision, I knew I'd never seen a drawing or a picture of any kind of gates that even remotely resembled them. But in this vision, I knew that these gates were the gates of hell. And I wasn't alone. I don't know how many were there. There were, there were a large number of us. And we had this battering ram that looked like a sequoia tree. I mean, it was huge in diameter. And there were wooden dowels that came out of both sides all the way down the full length of this thing. And the end of it had been sharpened into a point. I mean, it was a monster. And there were hundreds of men that were along the sides of this great tree, and it was a battering ram against those gates. And I, I was uh, in the dream. I was the one giving the orders for the, for, for the uh, ram, and I didn't do it to them. In the dream, every time I brought my hand up and came down and said, in Jesus' name, they would ram against that uh, that, that battering ram, that huge battering ram against those gates. And we did it over and over and over again. It didn't look like we were making any kind of progress at all. Those gates just absolutely were monstrous and they were very strong. But all of us were so unified and so in tune that we rammed and rammed and rammed into those, uh, those gates over and over and over again. And finally, there was a little bit of cracking sound. And then the next time, there was a little more cracking sound. And the next time, it was even louder of a cracking sound. And the next time, it was worse. And then I don't know how many times after we heard the cracking sound. But let me tell you something, that little bit of noise coming from those gates as it began to grow, it really inspired all of us to really just refocus our efforts. 
I don't know how many it was. I don't know how long I prayed. It was most of the night. But I saw this. I kept watching this. And and I, I remember thinking in the in my mind uh, that was watching this, uh, not the one participating with them watching, I wonder how long this is going to go on. I didn't know what we were praying for. And the gates looked impregnable, but we were doing it, and we, we we just kept doing it. That was my mind that wasn't involved. The me that was involved, I knew this was going to happen. God was going to do this. We had a promise. They shall not prevail. And finally, I don't know how long we've been doing it, how many times we had slammed in that gate. But finally, those gate, there was a loud crash. And because the gates were designed so that they they opened outside, outwardly, because that made them stronger, because that was a frame all the way around them. And then you they opened outwardly, and then you put a huge beam across the back of them. It was held in place, which meant you couldn't pry them open, and that meant you were trying when you were trying to open them inside, you had the frame resisting and this bar resisting, but something crashed. Something gave way. And when it did, those gates flew open. I mean, they didn't grab up. They flew open like there was huge amounts of pressure behind them because whatever it was holding them in place was broken and they flew open. And I remember I was in this position where I could, I was up a little ways I could see and I could see over the heads of those that were doing the battering ram. And I looked inside and I was, I didn't know what I was expecting to see, but I was totally shocked by what I did see. I saw as far as the eye could see inside those gates, an unlimited mass of people, they were all facing the gates. So I saw all of these faces at once. And they were crammed so close together that it it would, had to be, it, it, uh, the vision could not have been literal in that sense because they couldn't have breathed. I don't know how they breathe. They couldn't have lived. They weren't, they weren't living like that. They were just existing. And, and the, the looks on, the same expression was on all of their faces, not because they were robots or automatons, but because they were all in the same condition. There was such a look of despair, of hopelessness, of helplessness on their face, on their faces. And when, when the pressure of that mass of people against those gates, uh, when that cracked, that broken, that's what pushed those gates wide open. And they opened so fast that the people that were up against the gates, it was like the line in the ground where there was the plane of the gates. They were all standing there. And there was a fraction of a second that they didn't move because they'd all been crammed up against the gate. But all of a sudden, the pressure from behind them pushed the first group of people out these huge wide gates. I, there must have been 75, 100 people across. I don't know, 50 at least, 100, whatever it was. It was a huge number of people right across. And they all kind of crossed that plane together. And when they crossed the plane of where the gate was, there was an instantaneous transformation in them. The look of hopelessness and helplessness and despair immediately left. And, the, and a look of radiant joy came to their face. 
and they immediately began to jump and shout and scream, we're free, we're free, we're free, we're free. And they kept jumping. But the, but the crowd kept moving out. It was a, a, a constant, uninterrupted flow of them coming out of that, those defeated gates. And I remember again in that dream thinking to myself, not the person in the dream, but the person was watching the dream thinking, I wonder how long this was going to go on. And I can tell you, I spoke in tongues and watched them come out of there for hours. And finally, somewhere in that back of the mind that wasn't in the vision itself, something said, it's almost church time because this was on a, this was a, Saturday night, Sunday morning, I was praying all this. Now, the unique thing was, that was the Sunday morning that we were starting in a revival with an evangelist that over 600 people were going to get the Holy Ghost in nine weeks. But that morning, when I came to myself and the the vision just kind of stopped, and the voice of the Lord said, This is my promised revival, but that revival is not going to start in this revival. So over 600 people got the Holy Ghost in that nine-week revival, but that wasn't the revival. And I'm almost 74 years old, and that dream happened on October the 13th, 1981. And I'm still believing for that vision to come to pass. And I'm still living because I have the promise I will live to see that vision come to pass. Now, you do what you want. I realize that's my vision, my dream, but it's a word from God. And you can have it as yours too if you want it. He's promised this. I saw that with my own eyes. I was awake and saw it. And that vision went on for hours, both in the warfare and in the victory, the result of the two. By the grace of God, I determined with everything in me that I am going to be a part of that, whatever that place is. I did not perceive that God was saying, I was the one giving the order. But whether I'm that person or any one of the people on that great battering ram, I want to be a part of that. I pray that you want to be a part of it too. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I conclude this last lesson of the series, How to Pray Like the Apostles Prayed, I pray that the Lord has spoken to you And that the word of God and the grace of God and the spirit of the fear of the Lord and the spirit of conviction has come upon you and led you to a place of prayer and is leading you to a place of prayer of surrender that he is able and willing to use you for his kingdom's sake like never before. Let's join together and in the spirit put our hands together on that battering ram and claim the promise of God that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And this glorious church is going to have many, many, many children before the Lord comes. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my, my disciple.
I desire that. I pray that you do too. God bless you in Jesus' name. I love you. It's been a privilege to teach you and be his conduit. In Jesus' name, amen.